0: The penultimate minute of the film, minute 119, goes from an hour 58 to an hour 58-59. We start with the end of the ADR and looping. Uh, we go through the music credits, uh, a lot of Foley and ADR mixing credits. Uh, we get into some of the uh, visual effects, which were done by Lola and Savage Visual Effects. Uh, we go past the credit for digital matte paintings. Um, in particular, there's a credit for Flame Artists, uh, which I particularly enjoy, which uh, consists of no fewer than nine people who are Flame Artists. Uh, so I can only think of when the scarf gets set on fire. I can't imagine it took nine people to, uh, to do the digital effects for that. Uh, we go through some of the post-production stuff, um, some more kind of uh, matte stuff and uh, some special effects. Uh, additional visual effects by certain people, and then we get the final kind of credit, which is just as we start listing the music for the film, which, of course, started with uh, Ball and Biscuit. And joining me to talk about today is Richard Burns. Hello, Richard. Hey, Darren. Um, Yeah, so uh, we're kind of mainly getting more effect stuff. I feel like we've kind of already covered uh, most of our thoughts on that uh, in terms of this film. Obviously, you know, everybody knew about the twins. Uh, Very few people knew about... whole bunch of other special effects. Uh, uh, I don't know that the flames from the scarf being set on fire were special effects. I would have assumed that would have just been easier to do practically. Um, (laughs) But it wouldn't surprise me if David Fincher decided to have no things being set on fire and decided to have it all done digitally uh i gotta be honest uh, when it comes to special effects fire is generally one thing you can easily tell when it's done wrong so i don't know that he would rely on that i think he you know I, i'm guessing there's probably other parts of the film where you know there were certain effects that were done that obviously i haven't particularly noticed um so uh you know uh, and uh, then just as we get to the end of this uh, we get the start of the music credits Uh, Now, obviously, the the kind of the main, um, you know, the kind of main thing that, um, you know, uh, was featured in the film was the soundtrack that was done by uh, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. Uh, Obviously, they were nominated for an Oscar. I can't remember if they won an Oscar. Um, And I think Trent Reznor might have won an Oscar because the idea that Trent Reznor is an Oscar winner is obviously something that delights me. Um, just as much as um the fact that uh, who were the uh, it was is it my six six Miami, Miami Six? I can't I can't remember now. Uh there's, a, there's a, oh Ma- the Mafia three? I three can't six, remember. There's somebody Mafia. who uh, three six Mafia. Three six Mafia, with, there we go. Jesus Christ, that was a journey to get to that. Yeah. They <laughs> they also won an Oscar for Hustle and Flow. So, <laughs> so the fact that Trent Reznor is an Oscar winner, uh puts him in the same category as um um, the subject of one of my other podcast, Prince, who obviously also won an Oscar. Um, and I think Stevie Wonder as well might have won an Oscar for something at some point. Um, uh, certainly a Golden Globe, I would think, at the very least. Um, but uh, yeah, so we start to get the kind of soundtrack credits as well. Um, and, you know, obviously the film opens with uh, Ball and Biscuit. Um, although, curiously, the version of Ball and Biscuit that plays under the scene at the start of the film never reaches any... Lyrics. It's just the the kind of the music just kind of looped, um, which is which is kind of weird because it's it's like when you're watching the film, you don't really notice it. Obviously, it's the first thing that we hear as the film starts, Um, but then it kind of in the background is kind of on this loop and it never, ever reaches the actual kind of singing until kind of a lot further into the song than it actually is on the uh, on the in the actual song, which I'm guessing they did just because. You know, there's a lot of dialogue and they didn't want to overwhelm it with kind of people singing, um, you know. And obviously, I, I've talked, uh, you know, at uh, length about how much I enjoy the use of uh, Dreadlock Holiday. Um, in particular, the kind of the little dance that uh, Eduardo does as Mark comes in. And, uh, and, you know, the the kind of the, the
1: whole phrasing of, uh, you know, I don't like cricket. I love it. Oh, um, is, you, is that I, the song? I, so, is that the song that plays when uh, Eduardo is at the... Um the party the uh yeah the uh, a pie mixer ah yeah. yes okay it's not a not a song <laughs> yeah. i know actually so i was trying to place it
0: it's interesting because um you know the it's kind of based on a true story about one of the members of 10cc who went on holiday uh to jamaica and he got into a number of different kind of like um kind of i don't know how to how to phrase it like situations let's say and to get out of one of them somebody asked him about cricket and he actually said i don't like cricket and apparently this was about to lead to this guy getting beaten up and he said i love it and apparently this endeared him to the people who were about to threaten his life and and so obviously he, he told that story and uh and it ended up in the song uh, the video for it is a uh, kind of a bit dicey i mean there's a lot of um, I mean, they—they—I don't know where they shot it, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's a couple of white guys getting into some situations with people who aren't white, and it's—you know—there's uh, another, uh, there's a number of other things that they don't like, they love, and you know, it, like the the I, I I these days I don't think that video would be the, the kind of shot the same way. Let's put it like that. It's a bit of a dicey video. When I went to look for Dreadlock Holiday, I was like, oh, I wonder what the video would be like, and it's it's a bit of a weird video. Not so, great, not great. Um, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, I think people should go and watch it for themselves and make their own judgment. But I just think it's, you know, like I was expecting something that featured a lot of cricket, and it doesn't really feature any cricket. So. <laughs> um, yeah. And of course, uh, you know, we had uh, the, you know, I Swear um, as performed by, well, it's meant to be performed by, um, you know, a, a, an a cappella group in Harvard, um, but it is not. It's performed by the UCLA's Bruin Harmony. Um, which is spelt like the um, the ice hockey team. Um, so I'm, I I mean I I can't remember what a Bruin is. Is it a bear? I think it's a bear, isn't it? Uh, I believe
1: so. Yeah. Um,
0: um, yeah. So, but obviously LA has got a bear on its flag. So I'm guessing, or California, should I say, has got a bear on its flag. So I'm guessing that's probably where that comes from. There's probably some Bruins. Yeah. I, around LA. I should somewhere. I should
1: know that, but I uh, I cannot say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah um that's the only reason i had you on richard was for your <laughs> uh knowledge of california so you'll let me down sorry right? uh, um yeah so i i i think i think it's interesting because like there's you know uh, i mean you know obviously we've obviously got west coast Poplock and uh california uber alice you know like there's, there's there's a few films in this kind of film that aren't really on the soundtrack as we know it like the soundtrack that's done by trent Reznor and Atticus ross um so I always want to say Atticus Finch, which is a fictional character. So um, <laughs> you know that, that's that's why I'm always st- kind of holding off there. Um, the sound of violence by Dennis Deleart, of course, was performed in the club, um, and <clears throat> you know the kind of the stylized version of uh, In the Hall of the Mountain King by Grieg, of course, you know, which you know underscores the uh, the rowing tournament uh, is kind of amazing, kind of done in the style of Wendy Carlos. Um <clears throat> yeah,
1: that's a, but yeah, like yeah. there's. Uh, that's a wonderful sequence, and the music over the, uh, over the rowing sequence is uh, really, really striking. And I, I mean, there's also kind of like a few
0: other songs, but they're mostly kind of in the background. Like uh, during the scene when the girls are playing the computer game and taking many bong hits, uh, they of course play some Bob Marley, uh, Crazy Baldhead." although it's in the background so much that you probably wouldn't even realize that the song was there um and kind of when they're at the party there's um there's a kind of a song by i think super fairy animals uh which are a welsh group uh called bleed forever but again it's kind of in the background and you can't really make it out um you know so you know but yeah I, and obviously we finished with baby a rich man which we've obviously discussed at length but i mean i think the kind of uh, the use of music is interesting because a lot of the songs aren't from the years where this is set. Like, um, so although the film is obviously, you know, 2003 through to kind of 2004, um, there's not many kind of, if, in fact, I don't think there's any songs that are like 2003, 2004. <laughs> like, everything is either, you know, from a long time before that, um, you know, in the case of stuff like Crazy Baldhead or, you know, West Coast Pop Lock, or in the case of Dennis DeLatt's song that's in the club, it's actually a few years after that. Um, but, like, there's nothing that really kind of makes the film feel like it's 2003, 2004, um, you know. And if if the kind of credits didn't come up giving you the year, like, you know, at the beginning where it says fall 2003, I don't think you'd be able to pick a year out from the soundtrack. And I think, personally, you know, in terms of, like, the choices, that was kind of the right way to go. Like, I I, I don't think you really wanted to kind of have I don't know what was big in 2003 like a bunch of Britney Spears like Toxic on or you know like whatever was kind of big in 2003 4 I don't think you really wanted that to kind of dominate the soundtrack because it would kind of detract from what is I guess a kind of I don't know I would say it's a universal story being told but I don't think that the setting of it like the timing of it is really that important like the fact that it takes place in 2003 4 is not the is not the selling point of the film. No I think that's completely
1: Um, I think that's completely right I think they're trying to you know they're trying to escalate it out of uh, specific it's you know because it's it's about mark zuckerberg but it is saying something something even more yeah you know i would say universal or something yeah sort of um more broadly relatable than just telling the story of this guy it's kind of about you know the more general um idea of ambition and um you know what you know the because you know the title the social network the sort of the irony of that and the way it's dark times are changing um i mean you know because like indie rock was big at the time and so they do use the white stripes and i think that the the ball and the biscuit is off of elephant and i think even that might be um i don't think that had come out at the point they use it in the movie i think that album was from maybe the next year or a, a year or two later um and so, yeah, I think he was not trying to tie it to, you know, a particular time in pop music. I think he was trying to tell a, a, a bigger story that would continue to resonate and that wouldn't wouldn't lose its impact because, you know, it's like it's not like when you watch a a teen movie from that time period. And it, it just feels like you're watching an artifact and it has value as that, but doesn't you can't relate to it anymore. Because it's, times have changed so drastically.
0: Well, I mean, uh, I don't want to correct you, Richard, no, but uh, Elephant, it, Elephant was released 1st of April 2003. It, yes. And uh, the film starts the end of 2003. Yes. But, I mean, it's worth saying, of course, Ball and Biscuit never released as a single. Um, so the fact that it's been played in this pub is probably a little bit incongruous. Like, um, you know, I, I don't know how many kind of pubs would be playing kind of album tracks right know.
1: and and you're and kind yeah i i of course i am wrong about the year but it is a you know it, it doesn't sound like their most contemporary style of song it sounds like kind of a a throwback to a, like an old uh kind of a, a blues style so even even though it's a contemporary track it is of a kind of you know it's it doesn't feel like it's of that moment of like indie rock it it sounds like a, a throwback and so even that doesn't doesn't date it particularly except for the fact that yes, yeah, you know, it, it was released that year, so I mean, it, it would
0: have been weird if they'd have been in the pub Seven Nation Army came yeah. on yeah, um, like that would have been weird, um, so I mean, uh, you know, obviously I mentioned it they didn't use stuff in 2003 um, so I'm going to ask you to guess um, the top 10 singles the billboard charts this is uh, of 2003 uh, if you want to take a stab at uh, at guessing any of the top ten, <laughs> um, um, oh my god, I'll give you a clue as to what's not in the top ten, uh, which surprised me because I thought it would have been uh, in the top ten, which was uh, Hey Ya, um, which of course was all over the place in two thousand three. It was like you know I would have thought that would have been, you know, but I think it was re- it was kind of released late two thousand two, and I think that's probably why it. Uh, it kind of wasn't as big. Yeah, um, um,
1: is I don't think I can make a specific guess, but is there a Jay Z song in the top ten? There is, yes, featuring Mrs. Re- Jay Z. Oh, Mrs. Oh, so that's a is that a Crazy in Love then? Yes,
0: it is. Crazy in Love okay. was the
1: fourth biggest
0: song. So, okay, uh, that's one correct.
1: What album was that off of for Beyoncé? That's was the album called Crazy in Love. Did it have is that's no- the that's the only
0: that's that's, the, that's only the only Beyonce, Beyonce
1: and Jay Z. Yeah, that's in okay. the that's in
0: the top ten. Although I will say this, the the three songs above that are all what one would classify as being R and B or hip hop.
1: Is there a? Was that at a point where would Khalees or Ciara are either their big hits? No, the top three are all men. Oh, okay. Jeez, I was not I was not listening to. I don't, I, I, I don't even think I want to embarrass myself further. I don't think I can guess any of those. Well, number three was Get Busy by
0: Sean Paul, which I oh. can't say that off the top of my head I can recall how that goes, um, not being a, a huge Sean Paul fan Yeah. myself. Right. Um, the, then we have the remix of Ignition. Uh, oh, two, sure. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, and number one was In The Club. Uh, by fifty seven, oh. which of course, again, like Hey Yarn in the club, I feel like they were everywhere.
1: Yes, um, yeah, you know, huh. in two thousand
0: three. Like that it would have been interesting if this film had opened within the club being played at the pub. Um, you know, or even when they're at the club, play in the club. Uh, <laughs> that would that would have felt like the, the kind of more obvious choice, wouldn't it? Yes. Um yeah. yeah. When I'm gone by Three Doors Down was the third best selling single. Oh my uh God. Unwell by Matchbox Twenty was number six. Um Right There by Chingy. Um, was number seven, uh, "Miss You" by Aaliyah was number eight. Uh, I think, of course, Aaliyah did she? I think she died the previous year. Um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, Kid Kid Rock featuring Cheryl Crow with "Picture" at number nine, um, and still hanging around, I think, from like the previous year, "Bring Me to Life" by Evanescence, which of course uh, featured early in the year in the Daredevil soundtrack. Um, so, uh, an, an, an unqualified classic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I I don't. The thing is, I don't think if they'd have put any of those songs on the soundtrack, it would have really made any sense. Like I, I can't imagine anywhere in the film where all of a sudden in the background we hear a Picture by Kid Rock playing. Like that just would not, like yeah. it just would not fit with any 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 scenes. And I think in a lesser film, they would have gone with Into Club for when they were in the club. Like that would have that would have been like the most kind of like obvious choice um, for them to make. But instead they kind of went with songs, you know, stuff like California Uber Alice, which was, you know, from decades before um, or stuff like West coast Poplar you know, they, they kind of basically uh, uh, decided to not tie it to 2003, four, which I think is a good choice. Um, and also of course, all through this, I you know, I've praised many times uh, the stuff that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did. I mean, that's, it's such a great soundtrack. I mean, I literally like after seeing the film, um, which I saw five times myself at the cinema. Um, I straight away went out and bought the soundtrack and put it onto, I think, my iPod at the time, and I would just listen to it all the time. There's a couple of tracks on there that I still listen to fairly regularly, just because, um, you know, particularly if you know, if I'm walking around and I want to, you know, feel like I'm in a movie, then I'll stick on, you know, the the soundtrack to. Um, social network and all of a sudden I'm in a David fincher film yeah um but yeah it's i mean it's such a great soundtrack um and i think as well like just the like the choices that were made i think are kind of the the more important things like it's just it's very much like you know the fact that they didn't go for anything that was on the nose 2003 2004 the fact that they did kind of um you know, i i don't know how, how accurate it was that you know a bunch of college kids in 2003 were playing california uberalles like you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess it, it feels like, the, you know, I, I, like I don't I don't know that like Dustin Moskovitz or Chris Hughes particularly feel like kind of like, punks. you know, college punks. So it's yeah, it's 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 a it's a kind of a weird choice, but it just fits with the scene, um, you know, and that possibly in the in the film as well. The last time that Eduardo smiled as well, like as they play California Uber after, after that, things just get uh, worse and worse. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I love, I love what, I love the kind of the soundtrack and also the choice of songs in this film. It's like, it's, it's done in a way that does kind of make the story film timeless, even though it is very specifically linked to a time period.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great soundtrack and, uh, he's obviously gone on to work with, with Atticus Ross and, uh, Trent Reznor, uh, in the future. So I think was just, this is the first, uh, was this the first that they worked with him on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: And and I think as well, like up until this point, David Fincher really didn't have like a composer. Yeah, um, you know he'd worked with a number of different people on previous films, and it feels like after this film, you know the working relationship between him him and Trent Reznor, and obviously, you know there's a remix of of. Of like a a Nine Inch Nails song in the opening credits of Seven, so obviously he was a fan. Um, So I, but it feels like he's kind of found his composer. Like you know, like if they do, if they do work together in the future, I think obviously it will prove to be a fruitful relationship. Um, You know, I don't know that he's going to do as many kind of things as like you know Williams has done for Spielberg, but you know, it just feels like you know that they understand each other, and in particular, like Gone Girl as well is is another wonderful soundtrack, but it's a lot more kind of. Um, low key, like it's not as kind of in your face as some of the stuff on on this one. Um, right. But then let's go to the Thursday question, which is, what is your favorite social network? And by this point, I'm framing it as, what is the social network that you tolerate the most? And obviously, <laughs> you know, given given the stuff that that Facebook has done since, I, even since I started doing this project. Um, and the kind of performance that Mark Zuckerberg has had like in front of Congress and, you know, a number of times, I think at least three times since I started this project, he's gone up in front of Congress Jeez. over various different issues. So um, I don't know. What are your general thoughts more on kind of social networks and how they've kind of evolved over the last kind of, you know, decade since this film came out? You know, it's, I mean, it's almost exactly nine years since this film was released. So,
1: right. Uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I don't. I I avoid, I avoid relying too much on I have an account for most of the major ones you know like I'm on Facebook still I have a Twitter account um, I have an Instagram account I guess Instagram is the most tolerable for me because I do enjoy I mean you know you can you can you can curate it to have stuff that should actually just be of interest to you it seems like no matter what you do though you always end up with someone who's just like an influencer though and you're just like okay, I just you're just on the beach with a dog, like great, but um, but I, I I enjoy seeing photography and like people and like you know a lot of people beautiful pictures of like national parks and whatever, and so that's the most innocuous and kind of the least insidious, um, yeah, Facebook is increasingly disturbing to me, I guess, and so I I pretty much just have that whittled down to like um fan fan pages for different um communities and that's that's more more tolerable for me um I don't really I try not to be addicted to any like particular timeline because that's I feel like I you know I mean I don't have anything to add that isn't already documented in you know you know professional like research or better writing on the internet but i do think it's you know it feeds into like negative feedback loops for like mental health and keeps us more isolated from our communities and each other so i'm not a huge fan i have to say um of any (laughs) of any of them but yeah i mean i i facebook is so insidious we've talked in an earlier episode about how it kind of represents your your uh your person online and you can just log into things with one click and so it's it's the hardest to break away from i mean you know twitter i just i don't tweet i don't look at it instagram if i don't want to i don't look at it but facebook i mean people communicate with me on facebook or i get i'm more you know it's harder to it's harder to break free of facebook like facebook just has us (laughs) it's just got a grip on you so That's the one I use, I guess.
0: I think, uh, you know, uh, Ingrid Goes West was like an interesting film about um, Instagram. Obviously not like, you know, in the same way as social network is, but like about a person becoming kind of obsessed with, uh, you know, an influencer um, and kind of buying the stuff that they're buying and dressing like them and, you know, kind of ending up like trying to imitate them in every possible way before eventually kind of finding out that you know um they're not really anything like they are on instagram <laughs> you know like they're you know the stuff that they're promoting is stuff they've been paid to promote and you know like their life isn't re- you know like their instagram account is actually mostly run as a business like they don't really kind of share their life they share like stuff that they're kind of being paid to share yeah. um so yeah i think i kind of think instagram is kind of interesting in that you can kind of you know, outside of, you know, Facebook suggesting all the people you've made friends with on Facebook you should make friends with on Instagram, um, I think kind of following particular accounts on Instagram is kind of interesting like just for, like, what those accounts are, um, you know. And I would say, I mean, I think I mentioned this in passing uh, many moons ago, but I would I would say probably more now than ever, um, TikTok, um, which is kind of not really a social network in the same way as other things are. I guess it's kind of a bit like Instagram, but with videos. Uh, and on there, there are a number of people who used to be on Vine, um, and I feel like Vine has attained this status since its death, um, mostly due to kind of like YouTube compilations. Um, of certain vines where you know people kind of uh, who used to be viners have now found kind of like second careers either on YouTube or in other places. Uh, but there are now a number of ex viners who are on TikTok and who are basically doing the same thing they used to do on Vine, but now they're doing it on TikTok. Um, and you know, those are kind of worth following in so much as you know, if you like people making dumb jokes, um, then that's kind of funny, but also if you like um, litters of kittens, then by all means. Uh, download tiktok and <laughs> just start liking every single video that has kittens <laughs> in and all of a sudden your feed is nothing <laughs> well
1: there are worse things for sure
0: so yeah i uh yeah i mean so i i feel like people kind of because of its its origins as musically which was you know kind of I, I don't, known for some kind of weird trends and stuff uh, it was like a karaoke thing initially right yeah, and and it still kind of is that. There's still a lot of trends on TikTok that are just people kind of miming to stuff. Um, but it's mostly now kind of graduated to be like dance trends, but also memes. Right. Um, so there's a cur- there's a current meme which, as of this episode, you know, as we as we're kind of, uh, you know, well, today is Halloween, so. Um, there's a lot of people who do this there's this weird meme and i don't know why but it always cracks me up on tiktok where people will write the word boob oh yeah and then someone and then someone will object and they'll get rid of the second b and it just says boo and they kind of jump as if they've someone's just said boo to them and it's a silly it's a it's like literally the dumbest meme possible but in video form some people really kind of pull it off and make it kind of funny and so you know there's stuff like that on tiktok which you know it, it again, it's kind of one of those weird things where you don't know if people are doing like certain things on TikTok just for money in the same way that they are on Instagram. Um, but I think things on TikTok are kind of like uh, also TikTok is owned by some company in China and people, you know, I don't know. yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a whole thing with data and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, OK, like, I mean, if somebody wants to know that I've watched like two dozen kitten videos today, then fine they can know that I, I you know i'm not that i'm not particularly bothered with people knowing that um you know the weird thing as well with kitten videos is on almost every single kitten video there'll be somebody who's like yelling in all caps for this person to spay or neuter their pet and uh, and it's like seriously it's a bunch of kittens like playing what why do you need to kind of bring anyway so that's just my thoughts <laughs> on kitten videos on tiktok um but yeah, so I mean, obviously, I you know, I use Facebook for promoting, you know, podcasts and, you know, for interacting in groups on, on Facebook. Something I said, I think a lot of people kind of, uh, you know, the underrated feature of Facebook is the groups like, you know, there is there are, there are no adverts in the groups as well. You know, there is no fake news in the groups. You know, there are no like, well, it depends what people post there. But, you know, mostly most of the links in certain groups are kind of curated enough that, you know, you're only kind of getting good stuff from some of those groups, and and I think that's a feature that I think Facebook probably too late kind of realised was a good thing. Like I don't know why they created groups, but they kind of too too late in the game they realised that that was a thing that people liked about Facebook, and by that point they kind of didn't know what to do with them. Um, so you know now there's, there's certain features in groups that kind of sort of work, but then there's others that kind of don't. Right. Uh, in particular, like any thread that gets to a thousand comments suddenly stops, and can't get notifications and it just breaks and you know so there's obviously things still wrong with the Facebook code that kind of can't be fixed but you know there was also this weird thing where whenever I did anything on Facebook it kept encouraging me to start a group and I was like please I don't need to be in any more groups I'm in (laughs) enough Facebook groups at the moment Facebook stop encouraging me to start groups on any topic Um, you know they seem to have stopped doing that now though. Um, so anyway, um, it, I mean, normally I would be having you back for one more episode, but Beans says tomorrow is the final episode, and there's pretty much nothing to talk about other than you know the fact that no animals were harmed in the making of this film. Yeah. Um, this is the final appearance.
1: So um, before we go, is there anything that you wish to plug, Richard? I'm on. I am on Twitter at uh, Mr. Uh, Richard Burns, uh, Mr. Richard Burns, M. R. Richard Burns, but uh, I don't really tweet, so you try and find me on Facebook and add me as a friend I accept all covers
0: and you can find us on MySpace at myspace.com slash minute or on Twitter at social minute or on Facebook at social minute podcast uh, thanks for being my guest this week Richard thanks for having me and otherwise I will see everyone else tomorrow